We're going to turn together in our Bibles, uh, by way of introduction, we're going to turn to the book of Acts and chapter 11, Acts and chapter 11. And we're going to break into this passage in Acts chapter 11 and verse 25, just by way of connection. Acts chapter 11 and verse 25. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Amen, and we know God will bless the public reading of his infallible and his inerrant word. Let's unite again in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come into thy presence in the name of Jesus. We want to thank you, Lord, for your amazing grace and love to mankind. We thank you that while we were yet sinners, that Christ died for the ungodly. And we come, Lord, as sinners saved by the grace of God. And we pray tonight, Lord, for the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit to be upon this gathering. We ask, Heavenly Father, that you will bless your word. I give myself unreservedly to you, Lord. I pray that you will cleanse me and sanctify me. And I pray for that anointing and that heavenly oil that makes the word of God live in the preacher and in the hearer. And so I ask for that covering. And I pray that you will unstop every ear and that there will be those tonight who will hear the voice of God calling them to faith in Jesus Christ. We ask this and we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I preach to you, I wanted to bring a wee word of encouragement to those of you who have been praying, for I'm aware that a number of people are meeting very regularly for prayer. And you couldn't really be doing anything better than praying, because as most of us who are Christians have heard all our lives that prayer is the work. But I was reminded again today of a missionary that came to our home and then to a meeting a few years ago, and he told the story of a particular place in Africa where there had been a great sense of curse, as it were, on the land. The fish no longer were in the region where they normally did their fishing. The animals seemed to be going away. The grass wouldn't grow. It was just a terrible place. There had been so much witchcraft and and occult behavior and murder and all these terrible things. And as a result, the place became almost uninhabitable. And the region, they wanted to live there, the people, but as I say, nothing was really coming forth for them in any sense. And the missionary went to that region and he told them uh, the gospel, how that Jesus had come and that he was God's son and that he had died for them. And if they would repent of their sins and of the evil that they had been involved in and they would put their trust completely in the Lord Jesus, that, that his kingdom and his power would come into their region. 
And thankfully, they weren't polluted by religion. They hadn't got all the trappings that, unfortunately, we have to deal with. But uh, they were just coming from a pagan background, no knowledge of God, just paganism and Satanism and the occult. And so he encouraged them. He said, you know, the early Christians, they prayed a lot. He said, and you just need to pray. And you need to keep calling on God, and you need to keep living right, and you need to keep confessing. If you're not right with God, make sure that you're right with God. And whatever the Holy Spirit shows you, make sure you obey him. And he just taught them very simple biblical principles of walking with God. And they simply believed it, and they began to pray. And they began to pray that God would work in the community, and that God would work in their land, And that God's blessing would be poured out just as the Bible says and as the missionary had told them. And so they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And they didn't stop praying. They kept praying because they said, God, your word says that if we really pray and seek you, that you will bless and you will begin to work. So they kept praying. And the Holy Spirit began to really help them. And the more they prayed, the more they felt the power of the Holy Spirit. And they got to know God better and better. And then as they were praying, something happened. One of them was down at the beach. And as he was down at the beach, he saw out from the shoreline, he saw a fire that was going up. 30, 40 meters up into the sky, and it went for a long distance right down. I can't remember the detail, but I remember the missionary telling us. Out into the sea, he said he could see this wall of fire. And he ran back to tell the the natives back, there's something happening. And so they ran back, and some of them, when they got back, they realized that this fire was burning, and underneath there were all these bubbles. You know, the water was bubbling. They said, the water must be on fire. Just like that, the flames quit. And to their amazement, the waters kept bubbling. But it wasn't water bubbling from fire. It was all the fish had come back. All the animals began to return. The grass began to grow in a way that it never grew. Crops began to grow. And this man commenced to tell of a great revival that started in that area because these people prayed and God started to perform miracles in their community. And I'm telling you that for those of you who are praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. There's others will give up. There's others who turn back. The Bible says about those that turn back in the day of battle. And you should never give up. Keep praying and keep trusting and keep praising the Lord and keep believing and keep seeking to live right. And if you feel in some way, get it dealt with and get up on your feet again and keep praying because God will answer. God will come through. So I want to say that to you first of all, those of you who are Christians and who are praying. But I want to bring you my message now. My father-in-law told me a true story. Well, he told me it was true. Up in the Isle of Harris, near the Isle of Lewis in the Outer Hebrides, where my in-laws are all from, 
He said to me, there was a, a store opened many years ago called Boots. And he said, one of the men of the island, he said, they walked in. And he walked around and he could see nothing, only deodorant and shampoo and different items that ladies, ladies would use and gentlemen. And he went round eventually to the counter and he said, listen. He said, you don't have what you're advertising. He said, I have looked everywhere in this shop for boots and there's not one. You don't have what you're advertising. In Acts chapter 11, one of the references in the Bible to the word Christian. They were first called Christians in Antioch. I simply want to ask and challenge you to think with me tonight. What is a Christian? That's what we're going to look at tonight. What is a Christian? And then we're going to go a little bit further and then we're going to ask, are you a Christian? You see, first of all, let's look briefly at what's not a Christian. Now, there are many people in the land of Ireland, north and south, that believe that when you're born, you're born into what's called a Christian country. And because it's a Christian country, therefore, you would be a Christian. Well, of course, there's no such thing as a Christian country. There are Christians in a country. There may be Christian doctrines held, kind of, you know, uh, kind of respected within a nation. That's a possibility. But there's no such thing as a Christian country. That doesn't exist. Not in God's economy. The Bible says it was the disciples who were called Christians. But then one of the most common ones is that you meet people and because they go to a place of worship, whether it be a chapel or whether it be a church, they say, I'm a Christian. Now, my friend, if you went into McDonald's, would that make you a beef burger? If you went into a motor car showroom, would that make you a motor car? Well, the answer is pretty obvious that no, you wouldn't. And yet, isn't it amazing how many people believe that if you go into a church property and sit for an hour or two, that you are now a Christian? It's so irrational. It doesn't even make sense. Now then there's another one, and I want to point this out because it's very common in the island of Ireland, and that is that if you have been baptized as a little baby, that you are now a Christian. There are certain churches, the Roman Catholic Church, and some, at least one Protestant church, 
believe that if water is poured upon you as a little infant, that your original sin is washed away and you become an inheritor of the kingdom of God. I want to tell you, my dear friends, with all the love in my heart, I'm not here to criticize. I'm simply pointing out facts. And facts are stubborn things. I want to tell you that there's not one verse or one word in this Bible that tells me that a little infant can be translated into the kingdom of God by the prayers of a parish priest or the prayers of a clergyman or any amount of water being poured over them. The Bible does not teach it. It doesn't teach it. I want to tell you tonight that being religious will keep you out of prison. It will keep you out of trouble with the police. It will make you a good citizen wherever you live, but it will never get you to heaven. Religion cannot save you. Being good cannot save you. You see, there's another belief, and it's very common among the average person and that people, and that is, if I do good, then I'll eventually get to heaven. I would like to ask you, where did you find that? Because you didn't find it in this book. I want to tell you something now, and I want you to listen carefully. All bad people go to heaven. And all good people go to hell. I'm going to say it again. I want you to listen because I really want your mind and your head to start getting in gear. Because we're talking about things that will, my friends, long after your life's over, these things are the only things that matter. All bad people go to heaven. All good people go to hell. Alan, how in under goodness did you work that one out? I never heard a preacher say that in my life. Never heard such a statement from a pulpit. What do you mean? Well, let me explain it to you very simply. You see, friends, on one occasion the Lord Jesus was speaking, and he was speaking to the religious leaders, and he said to them, he said, you see the harlots? He said, they're going into the kingdom in front of you. They didn't like to hear that. That the women of ill repute, the women of the street, were getting into the kingdom of God ahead of the religious leaders. Not very nice, but Jesus said it. What did Jesus mean? Jesus meant that these women are already aware of their sinfulness, and so he said they've already taken the first step to get into the kingdom. But he said, you don't even believe you're sinful. You're so good, and you're full of your good works. And he said, for that reason, you can't get into the kingdom. You're so good. But Jesus said, the prostitutes, they'll get in because they have taken the first step. They realize we're sinners. And so I would like to dismantle the great lie 
that rests on multitudes across our island and across our land and our world. And that is, if you're good, you'll get to heaven. My friend, if you think you're good and good enough to get to heaven, I want to tell you with all the love I can muster in my heart, you will not go to heaven. But if you would come to God as a sinner like the prostitute or the murderer and say, God, be merciful to me, the sinner, God will save your soul and you will be in heaven. Well, you see, Alan, those things don't get you to heaven. That's right. Well, then, Alan, what does make a Christian? How would I ever be sure that I'm a Christian? Well, there are many views bantied about all the time. And you turn your television on and you have David Attenborough or somebody talking about space rovers and Mars. And they'll tell you about the age of the earth and they'll tell you about how that we have evolved from monkeys and of all their different views and their worldviews. My dear friends, when I listen to all these people, and I do listen to them occasionally, until sometimes I burst into laughter, and I have to switch them off because they're so amusing. But the masses believe them. You know, I thought we finished with fairy tales whenever we left primary school. But not at all. They're on the news every night. They're on the news every night. And scientists, so-called, and great men of genius, they keep the fairy tales going. That we evolved from monkeys and DNA, and this explosion happened, and that bomb happened, and before, and we know it all. Well, you know, my friends, I have decided and resolved in my heart that there's one man I'm going to listen to on the issues of this world and what it's about and where it's going and where it's formed. And I'll tell you his name. His name is Jesus Christ. He was a literal man proven to have lived 2,000 years ago. He did die and rise again. Those are proven facts. But I can guarantee you that David Attenborough, when he dies, he'll not rise again on the third day. I can guarantee you these scientists, when they die, not one of them will rise again. Because they're all sinners. And they're all flawed. And they're all blinded by the God of this world. But there's a man that I believe in. His name is Jesus Christ. And on the third day after he died. God raised him from the dead. And God demonstrated to all the world. And every succeeding generation. I am satisfied with my son. My son has defeated sin. Hell. Death. And my son is victorious. And you need to hear him. And so some people might regard it as a very simplistic view, and it is. But I believe him. I believe him. You see, my dear friends, the disciples were called first Christians at Antioch. So what is a Christian then? Well, first of all, we can read in the Bible in the book of Acts chapter 16. And I'm not going to read the chapter because time wouldn't permit me. But let me give you a little synopsis or a little little gathering of the facts. Paul's on his way to Philippi to a place in Europe to bring the gospel. And he meets a religious woman first. She's down at the river. She's a Jewess. 
And she knows the Old Testament scripture and she's praying to God, but she doesn't know the Lord. She's not a Christian. And then he moves on and he meets a wee young girl, a strapling of a girl, and she's involved in the occult. She's involved in fortune telling. And Paul has a dealing with her, and as he prays and commands the evil spirits in her to leave, then she becomes a Christian. And then finally when he gets into trouble for preaching he ends up and put in prison. And when he's in prison then the old prison warder who's over him, he has no interest in anything. He's not a praying man. He's not into the occult. He's just a typical person. He's disinterested with anything to do with God or religion or the supernatural. He's just taken up with the here and now. He has bills to pay and a family to look after and all responsibilities and he throws them into prison and he forgets about them and God doesn't use Paul to awaken him. God uses an earthquake. But in that little chapter, God shows us the different types of people that God deals with and where his gospel reaches. It reaches people who are religious. It reaches people who are involved in the occult and darkness. And then it reaches into those who have no interest in the things of God. This gospel is all-encompassing. All-encompassing. Christ receiveth sinful men. And it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your beliefs or your culture is. You and I need Jesus Christ in our lives if we're ever to be in heaven and have peace with God. But the Bible tells us when he talked to the old jailer, he said to the jailer, whenever the earthquake came, the old jailer came in falling down before them, and this is what he said, he was in fear. He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? It's a good question. Did you ever ask that? What must I do to be saved? Did you ever ask that? And the answer came back from the apostle, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. So, the first thing that's needed to be a Christian according to the Bible is you must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first thing. You say, Alan, what did I tell you? Most people in this country, north, south, even probably over in poor old England, Believe in Jesus Christ that he was a person that he lived. Does that make you a Christian? I believe. I believe he lived and died. I believe he rose from the game. I believe the Bible. Does that make me a Christian? No, it doesn't. Well, Alan, I thought you're after saying that the Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Well, the Bible does say that, but Paul's not giving All the gospel, there's a wee bit more detail to it that's not alluded to in that verse. And I'll tell you, my dear friends, why believing in Jesus will not get you to heaven. I want to to show this to you now. The Bible says in the book of James, do you believe there's one God? You do well. The devils believe and they tremble. 
Would you dare to tell me that every devil in hell and every demonic entity in the heavens, that you would tell me they're all going to heaven because they believe in Jesus? I have lost count of the number of times that I have sat in my study where people came for prayer and whenever you confronted things of this issue and there was demonic entities in those people and whenever those spirits came up and spoke through those people, my dear friends, they did not deny Jesus Christ. In fact, whenever you mention the cross of Jesus and you mention his resurrection and his defeat of the powers of darkness, they cover their ears. They shout, stop, stop. We don't want to hear. We don't want to hear. No, they don't want to hear. They don't want to hear. You see, my dear friends, the Bible says you must believe. Well, Alan, I do believe in his existence. And I believe he rose... Well, that's good, but that's not enough. Well, what else is needed? Well, we'll turn to the Bible again. Because if I read you a little verse in the book of Acts again from chapter 20, and I'm going to read it to you just to make sure I quote it right. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 21, it says this, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. This is what Paul was preaching. I'm preaching to the Jews and to the Greeks repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you get that? Repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, in the first verse that we read in Acts 16, Paul just said, believe in Christ. But then when he got a chance for a further conversation, he would have said to him in private, listen, you'll need to repent. It's just the Bible didn't mention all those words at that time. But clearly that's what happened. Let me tell you a wee story. Many, many years ago, I went to the Faith Mission Bible College and I never was in a pub in my life until I became a Christian. Doesn't sound good, that sure doesn't. But I never was in a public house. And so when I went over to Edinburgh, I hung about with another student from Canada, and he was about six foot seven. He was a good boy to be with. He was huge. He was like a giant. And so we would do Friday night pub duties in evangelism. And I had no idea what to expect because I'd never been in a pub. I was always told there were dirty old places. And I'm more convinced than ever that's all they are. Dirty old places. And I can't for the life of me understand how Christians go to them and Christians sit in them. Anyway, that's a different story. But my dear friends, I went in in trembling with this big guy and we went in and I didn't know what they would do after all. I mean, I had a, what kind of places are these? But there was a group of young fellas sitting down at the bar and then they went over to the table and we sat down, the boy beside me, he'd done all the talking. And they were quite receptive, you know. They wanted to, they were relaxing and they wanted to have a wee chat. So I said to them, you know, if you want to be in heaven, you'll have to ask the Lord into your life. And he listened on, and one of the boys said, well, I would love to go to heaven. And I said, well, you know, if you don't go to heaven, you'll go to hell. He said, I don't want to go to hell. So we talked on a bit, and 
shared a bit about trusting in Jesus, putting your faith in Jesus. And all of a sudden, the boy turned to me. He said, could we do that now? He said, I'd be willing if you wanted even to kneel down here in the pub. Well, dear help us, did I start to reverse back? I thought, my, this is not, whew, I was awkward enough in here. This boy's talking about kneeling in the pub now. I'm, I'm really in trouble now. But there was something inside me that was screaming. And it was evidently the Holy Spirit because the Lord was screaming inside me, you've done something wrong, Alan. You've done something wrong. And I'm screaming inside and this boy's talking about kneeling down to ask Jesus into his heart. And I'm in, internally in trouble. And I said, God, what's wrong? And God said, you didn't mention repentance, Alan. You didn't mention repentance. Ah. I said, hold on a minute before we kneel down here. I said, there's something that I forgot to tell you, and it's my fault, and that is you've got to repent. What does that mean? I said, you've got to turn from your sin. You've got to take sides with God against yourself. You've got to acknowledge that your sin and your behavior before God is wrong, and you've got to be willing to turn from it and forsake it. And I'll just tell you exactly what he said to me. He said, you see that girl up at the bar there? Does that mean that I couldn't sleep with her? I said, is she your wife? He says, not at all. I said, that would have to stop. He says, I'm not interested. Oh, my friend, you could ask Jesus into your heart a thousand times, but except you repent, you shall surely perish. The Bible teaches repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember when God spoke to me about my repentance in an old tent campaign about 40 years ago down the road here. And I can still remember it whenever the Holy Spirit began to convict me of the sins of my life and the sins of my heart and my thought life and the things as God put an exposure on me and showed me that all had sinned and come far short of the glory of God. That there was none righteous, no, not one. That all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way. And God showed me my heart. My friends, as that faithful preacher preached night after night, there came a point in my heart when I said, God, I'm willing to turn away from my sin. I'm willing to forsake my sin, and I would be willing to do anything if you would save me. I would give a leg or an arm just to know that I was ready for heaven because death is a certainty for us all. You see, friends, whenever you believe and repent, something wonderful happens in your heart. You see, the Bible says that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. One of my great problems growing up as a teenager was my three sisters trusted the Lord and my brother also. And we used to talk, especially to my sisters, about being a Christian. And they used to say, it's great to know that you're going to heaven. And that troubled me. That really troubled me, knowing that you're going to heaven. 
And then the local Baptist pastor came up one time and he stood with me at the gate and he said to me, Alan, do you know where you're going? And I always remembered that because it annoyed me. Because I didn't know. I didn't know. And I always thought, well, how could you know? You're saying you know, but you have never been to heaven. You have never been to hell. How could you know that you're going when you have never seen those things? But yet they knew. You see, my dear friends, the Bible says that whenever you repent of your sin earnestly and honestly before God, and when you welcome Jesus Christ into your life as your Savior and your Lord, that the Holy Spirit at that point enters into your very being, into your spirit, into the very core of your personality. It's a wonderful miracle that takes place. It happened 40 years ago for me, and I still can't comprehend it. But in a moment of time, I was taken out of an awful kingdom, a kingdom of darkness. I was taken out of that wicked, evil, dark, blinding, hell-defying kingdom and brought into a kingdom of light and life and liberty and joy and hope and assurance. That's what happened the moment that I trusted the Lord. I was brought into that kingdom. But what happened was as the Holy Spirit entered me, he spoke. God has a voice, you know. The Bible says, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith. God is a voice. And the first time I heard the voice of God internally was whenever I got saved. And the Holy Spirit had entered into my spirit. And he said to me, you belong to me. You're mine. And I've never got over it. I've never got over it. That I belong to the Lord. Not because of works, not because of anything I've done. My dear friends, despite what I am, despite my sin, that God has had mercy on me. You say, well, Alan, (coughs) does the Bible actually say that you can know you're a Christian? It does. Years ago, I was preaching in Scotland, and this man He came up to me afterwards and he said, you know, I enjoyed what you preached, but he said, there's something troubling me. He said, I asked Jesus to save me many years ago, but he says, I've no assurance. I've no assurance. I said, well, tell me this. Did you ever tell anybody that you've received Christ as your savior? He said, no. Well, I said, what you need to do is tell. For the Bible says, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And I got a message through about a month later to say, I can't believe the change. He says, I know. I know I'm saved. You see, my friends, if you turn, and I want to speak to anybody, and I know there'll be people online, and I want to speak especially to people who are religious. Now listen carefully. Whether you're a Protestant or a Roman Catholic, I want you to listen carefully to this. Because Protestantism and Catholicism can't give you this. You can't get this from any of them. Listen to it now. 
1 John chapter 5. These things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. The Bible says you can know you're going to heaven, you know. But religious people don't know where they're going. They have to wait till the last day. They have to hope that their last confession, they have to hope that the last rites, they have to hope that all this thing will work out for them. And marry. But listen, the Bible says these things are written in the Bible, promises that you may know that you have, present tense, here and now, that you have what? Eternal life. I know I have eternal life. I know I have it. Say, Alan, in closing, what's your grounds of knowing? Well, the only reason, my friends, I have eternal life tonight is because of an event that occurred 2,000 years ago. A man who came to earth, who was born of the Blessed Virgin Mary and born without sin. He was none other than God the Son and the Son of God. He lived a completely sinless life. He was God's servant. And he pleased God in everything that he did. And I want to tell you that he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed by the devil. He was a wonderful man, Jesus. And everybody came to see him. He was attractive. You know, when you become a Christian, if Christ really reigns in your life, you'll become attractive. You'll become like him. Jesus was attractive. He didn't condemn people. He didn't judge them for their dress or judge them for how they lived or their past sin. He just loved them. He didn't tell them they could go on in their sin. He pointed out that they would need to repent. But he demonstrated that he loved them and he wanted them to be in his kingdom. That same man, when he was 33, was taken by the Roman soldiers and the religious hierarchy of the day. And he was betrayed by one of his own, Judas Iscariot. Sold for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. And they came and took him. And they battered him and beat him and bludgeoned him. All day and night. Until the Bible says that his face was beyond recognition. The Bible tells us that they beat his back until it was like a plowed field. Plowed field. If you ever see pictures of Jesus with a wee loincloth on him, that's not true. They stripped him naked. For the Bible says he despised the shame. And they nailed him by the hands and by the feet to the old tree. And they lifted it up and dropped it into the ground. And all his bones, the Bible says, went out of joint. 
They sat down and watched him there. And when man had done all he could on the sinless, loving, gracious Son of God, a darkness covered the whole earth. And Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I expected the disciples. I expected the religious leaders, the Roman soldiers. I anticipated them all forsaking me. But why have you forsaken me, my father? Well, my friends, during those moments when God the Father turned his head and his back upon his own son, All our sins were laid upon him. Jesus bore them on the tree. God who knew them laid them on him. And believing, I am free. The Bible says God made his soul an offering for sin. The Bible says that he bore our sin in his own body on the tree. The Bible says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Oh, he died for you, my friend. He died for you. And if you had been the only one God had ever created in this world... Jesus Christ would have died on the cross for you. The hymn writer said, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, and my all. You see, friends, the only basis upon which I am a Christian tonight is that 40 years ago I came as a sinner to that same risen, exalted Jesus Christ. And I said to God, my creator, I am a sinner. I agree with what you say about me. And I'm really sorry for my sin. And I don't want to live this way. And I don't want my mind to be filled with these terrible, filthy, dirty, rotten thoughts. I know it doesn't please heaven and I know that I'm in darkness. And I know that I can't break free because I don't have power to break free from this. Because of my sin. God says, to as many as receive Jesus, to them God gives power. To become the sons or daughters of God. I want to tell you friend. You'll never make it in your own strength. You'll never live a life. That will even satisfy yourself. Much less God. You'll never break the habits of sin. Because sin is in your DNA. You need a savior. 
You need someone to rescue you. You need someone to deliver you. You need someone to lift you up out of the dunghill of sin and the depth and the darkness and the wickedness of your mind and heart. You need someone to rescue you. He's called Jesus. He's the Savior of the world. He's the God-man who came and died on the cross and rose again and came to save you and to lift you up and he'll take you out of the dunghill and he'll set you on the mountaintop and he'll make you a prince with God. And when life is over and you come to the valley of the shadow of death and the nurses are around the hospital bed and the doctors have said there's nothing more they can do and there's no more medicine and there's no more input from the world, I want to tell you, my dear friend, on that day whenever you're leaving this world and saying goodbye to your physical body and going out into eternity, you'll need him. You'll need him. You'll need him. I'd hate to die alone. I would hate to die without Christ. I'd hate to die without Christ. You'll not do that. Sure you'll not. You'll not die without Christ. Don't do that. Become a Christian. Become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And at the end of all the battles, and battles there are, (laughs) battles there are. But when it all comes to the end of the journey, you'll be able to go to heaven. And the Lord will be there to escort you. (laughs) Wouldn't you love that? Wouldn't you? And to go to the city where roses never fade. Will you come to Christ tonight? Would you come to him? He wants to save you because he loves you. Take sides with God tonight. Don't take sides with the devil. Take sides with God. You'll never regret it. Let's bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your precious word. And we pray, Lord, that you would cause that your truth would go deep into the hearts of all who listen. And I pray that the gracious, loving Holy Spirit would take the truth of the gospel and the wonder of Jesus and bring it to the needy hearts of those who long for peace and want to be right with God. Oh, Father, we pray that you will continue to move by your Holy Spirit and bring men and women and young people to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.